welcome to Cast the Pods here, Witcher. I'm your co-host, Dov. I'm your co-host, Aaron. And I'm your co-host, Nice. And today we are actually doing our season roundup episodes uh, for these, for season one of the TV series. This might be a little bit chaotic because uh, we have done very little preparation on the actual structure of how we <laughs> About this. Here's a look for how the sausage is made. <laughs> this will be a look at how the sausage is made, uh, and and also um, fair warning, um, we will be suspending our usual no spoilers rule in order to discuss how the TV show ties into some of the broader things about the world of The Witcher. So if you've like you know not played some of the games or not read some of the books or um you know anything um please be advised that you might get things spoiled for you if you watch if you listen to this episode yes shall we begin yeah yeah sounds good so anyway now that we can spoil um (laughs) like vilgefortz's casting right uh yeah oh my god yeah so Fucking good. Hell. It's so good. It's, it's so good. It's like just the right like sort of balance of extremely handsome and charismatic and also visibly can play a shithead. Yeah. Oh a- yeah. And the nonchalant absolutely. way they introduced him, just sort of as another character. Just sort of, oh here's this guy who's clearly a badass fighter, but he's just <laughs> like another sorcerer. Not realizing that the entire yeah. fate of the world hangs on him. <laughs> yeah, the way he was introduced was very casual, and like it genuinely, like it, it feels to me. I don't, I don't, obviously, don't know like how those of us who have not been familiar with the books are like. That would be me. But, that would be it. you, actually, Aaron. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but like I don't know, just like from from my perspective, it seemed as though like when you when the first time you see him. Like, you get the impression that he'll be important, right? But, like, you wouldn't ascribe to him the level of importance that he gains in the plot of the books. Yeah, no, not at all. So, um, sort of looking back to when I first saw him, and if I really felt like it, I did live tweet the show the first time I watched it. So I have a written archive of how I felt about everything with absolutely no spoilers. Um, (laughs) Because I knew nothing. I knew... Yeah, just to be clear for the listeners, I knew nothing about The Witcher when I first watched it. I hadn't read any of the books, hadn't played any of the games, and even though I'd been following Dov for like a year at this point, I'd been basically intentionally ignoring every single tweet about The Witcher because I didn't want it spoiled for, for me. So, um, <laughs> so um, I came into this, the only thing, literally the only thing I knew about The Witcher at all was that there was popular games based on it and that it was like fantasy that was that was literally it i didn't even know like the characters names um so i'm just my recollection of the first scene with vilga forts was just like okay yeah this character is clearly gonna be important because shows don't just like give you characters with like names that come sidle up to your main characters and start talking to them for no reason but just i don't know i just thought he was gonna be another like side character vehicle to get Yennefer to Eretuza and sort of important in the battle but like nothing nothing at all struck like there's nothing has prepared me for them reading the books and realizing what he is um so they did that so well and I mean that that moment that moment where he just he he flips and smashes in the head of the uh sort of town mayor leader of the it's refugees right, guy yeah is just it's just really shocking because there's just there's nothing to prepare you for that it's like, like, ha- it's like hannibal-esque in the sense of like you know the tv series last film the thomas harris series hannibal just on a yeah. dime because it's interesting and fun to him he does it yes yes precisely so there was no reason for him to do that at all and, and yet he does yeah yeah oh my gosh and it sets us up of course to switch him from Swords to blunt weapons. Yes. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it establishes him as like a warrior, basically, a talented fighter, not just a sorcerer, which is the whole reason that he's able to hand Geralt his ass on a plate. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whew. Scary. Like I'm just like shivering thinking about Velgaforts now because um Because yeah, that scene in the books is brutal. 
It is. Of, it's... You know, like him handing Geralt's ass to him on a plate. It is interesting that they like set him up in the TV series as actually like as we mentioned in very vague terms without referencing who it is in the episode about that, about that episode. Um, like, but um, Kahir kind of beats him, right? Like, in straight-up mm-hmm. combat. Um, and it's interesting whether that's done as as you guys suggested, perhaps, like, because Bilgefort deliberately loses in order to, like, find out more about, like, what the hell Kahir is doing, like, in the Dove Guardians and so on, or or whether it's like, actually, like, you know, a moment of growth that we will see him become this even more intimidating personality in the future. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting, right? I can't, yeah. I mean, I know we've already hashed this out, but I can't help but feel that, like, he wasn't, not even, I mean, obviously the fall was not intentional because that was pretty brutal, but I can't help but feel that he wasn't trying to win because he has interests in Nilfgaard and is yeah, trying to sort of kind of play all sides and keep an eye on what's going on. But also, like, to be totally fair, like, it's probably fair to say that on Sodden Hill, he very much does not want Nilfgaard to win. Um, True. Because he can't, like, you know, even if you assume that, like, you know, his entire wee fucking <laughs> plot in the books, um, which, by the way, it's just like in all honesty, it's like all, always so stupid to me. Like when he, re- when I read that bit where he says to Geralt, "What if Nilfgaard is in my pocket?" And it's just like, mate, like <laughs> you're playing yourself and you don't even know it. Like, um... <laughs> they did channel his arrogance in the show. So right, well, yeah, um, it's, it's really well yeah. done. But like. <laughs> Even if you, like, believe that, like, he's his entire, like, elaborate plot is already in motion here, it's not exactly useful for him to have, you know, the Dilf Guardians just stomp over the Northern Kingdoms and never, you know, how do you put this, find him useful. That's true. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, there there's perhaps mixed, mixed levels of, like, what is being done intentionally. Um, I think it's entirely mm. possible, but I just think it's interesting that they're that they've set him up with that sort of event. Yes, and just for anyone who's still listening, because they decided they don't care about spoilers, um, just what we're referencing is that Vilgefortz becomes um, a very important um, antagonist later in the books, who um, has an interest in uh, Ciri's um, magical abilities and relation to prophecy, um, and he sort of ends up sort of trying to work within Nilfgaard, but not with Nilfgaard at all, to, uh... Yeah. Ends up trying to, like, be useful to Nilfgaard um, in exchange for, like, mm-hmm. you know, power, and... Uh, yeah. It doesn't work out well for him in yeah. the end, just just so you guys know. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, I guess, Vilgefortz's whole plot, um, I guess that sort of bridges us into how they dealt with the portrayal of Siri because they had a really difficult task ahead because obviously Siri basically as much as Geralt's the main character the series really the main character of the yeah. books in a lot of ways by the time you get to the end so that this very difficult task of trying to take Siri who wasn't in most of the short stories and make her into one of the three protagonists of season one so that she would be proportionally relevant to what she will be later. And I think what's really interesting is that Lauren Hestrick's original pitch for The Witcher was actually to start with Lady of the Lake. Yeah, so it was like looking at the paintings as they do in the book and then casting back to what happened, I guess. Yeah, it was supposed to be sort of, yeah, sort of an anthology thing from the perspective of Siri. I think it was supposed to be Siri telling her story to Galahad. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Oh, that would have been cute. Yeah. yeah, it was supposed to start with Siri in basically in like Arthur world. Um, I kind of loved it. Yeah, it just got a little, a little hard with the casting, so they would have had to have an old Siri and a young Siri instead of just casting someone young and having her grow up through also, the series. Also, I do wonder how, and... how well the um, entire Arthurian thing would have actually sold. Yeah, I feel like it's fun to bring in later, but starting with it might have yeah. been a lot. 
I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like, 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 yeah. I probably would not have read the books if they started with a bunch of with the ton of references <laughs> to, to the fucking art for Mythos. To be fair, like, I think I laughed out loud when they introduced the idea. <laughs> when it... I think I did. I had a tiny cringe when they introduced <laughs> I mean, the idea. You guys yeah. think that's cringeworthy? Try being a Lithuanian and reading that bit where Siri meets a bunch of Teutonic knights. Oof, man. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, I was like, Sapik, you've just gone full Poland. And, you know, like, I appreciate it, but also you've gone full Poland. Um... <laughs> Good for him, bringing in. It, I suppose it'd be like us, you know, writing something and bringing up Lord Cumberland or um, something. It is, it is like, it is like a Scottish person writing a fantasy novel and suddenly like transporting their characters into the Wars of Independence. Uh, yeah, or Culloden or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just fucking directly into the battle, but middle of Stirling Bridge. Complaints <laughs> about the fact that the bridge existed. <laughs> I think that's the thing I hated most about Braveheart was that there wasn't even a bridge in the fucking Battle of Stirling Bridge. <laughs> Where the fuck were they playing it, man? It's like one of the most important bridges in Scottish history. It's why Scotland exists because of a fucking yeah. bridge, and they didn't do it in the it's, fucking it's film. Actually, strategically, the most important bridge in Scotland. I mean, in top ten bridges in military history, yeah, it's up there. I... <laughs> Aaron. I was gonna say the idiots of water, but like I'm not actually there to give you any so <laughs> Sorry, I told you I've been having really bad quarantine hysterics lately. Uh... <laughs> For people listening later, this is week nine of quarantine. Oh, I, I, I've, I've stopped counting to yeah. be all I know is that I started on the 14th of March and I'm still here. Oh god, you started before the rest of us did, I guess. Yeah, it was the last day oh. I saw my, my partner and then my my flatmate got symptoms, so we just sort of locked down then and there. I mean, to be fair, oh, And in that time I've submitted my thesis and done my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing, because all I've done is record a podcast and stare at the hey, ceiling. Hey, so. hey, this yeah. podcast is super important to all our listeners are listening right now so let's finish the hard work That's that you've put into it Aaron. fair in fact i've broken up with someone and started dating someone else <laughs> and so, a whole lifetime has happened there's a whole film two, you of, two of us here have broken up with people uh, oh yeah of course you did as well of a similarly painful yeah. degree yeah. God. Oh gosh. So much. Everything happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Why do events still happen? Like, duh. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We, we rather got distracted there by bridge chat. <laughs> yeah. The. the Sorry, but top ten top ten bridges in military history is the yeah. tagline for the episode. I mean, joke aside, there is another top ten bridges in military history. There, there is, is a, a big very, bridge. I mean, look books. at that bridge, right? Like, strategically, it must be, like, fucking vital, because those cliffs, like, by the by the Aruga, I would not like to scale them. Like, that, that's all I'm saying, you know? And there's the one that Queen, with Queen Meave. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there's another bridge. To be fair, like in in the book canon, there there isn't isn't like necessarily like stated to bridge to see to be that kind of bridge at Sodden Hill. It's just it's just a hill just to the north of the Aruga. I guess they got influenced by the game. But it's very cool. Like I like it a lot. Like it is very cool. Yeah, the Battle of Sodden, I think, is one of the stronger. I do also have to observe that they defended its wrong side. Like it, it would have made much more sense to start to stand on the side of the bridge that doesn't have a castle because the castle is clearly built to defend from attackers from the north because it's on the southern side and the little guardians come from the southern side. But, like whereas you know, like they could have held the bridge itself for probably longer. They just wait until the army's yeah. on there. Yeah, and then you can, you know, right? Down or like, <laughs> uh, that worked for Sterling. It worked. Yeah, for like, like you, you didn't, you didn't have to <laughs> hold that half-ruined castle. Just 
wait wait until the Dove Guardians start crossing the bridge and knock it down. <laughs> like Yeah, you've got all yeah, this magic. Like <laughs> literally plant magical bombs at like you know, feet of the bridge and just light them. <laughs> I mean that's basically what they did. Yeah in Sterling Bridge. So yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> and Sapek didn't go into that much detail about what actually happened in Sodden, did he? No, there was no, almost no. nothing. There's like a couple of flashbacks where Yennefer remembers seeing Coral hacked to pieces just like she was in the show, so good job. Or was it mm. or is it Triss that remembers that? I think it's it Triss that remembers that yeah. actually. And Triss gets burned in the chest. And then, um, yeah. And yeah, Triss is very badly injured and almost dies. Um yeah, spoiler, Triss F. isn't dead. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh... <laughs> This is dead. Oh man. I don't know why that, <laughs> that just makes me laugh. Like <laughs> uh, uh, Yes, no, Tris gets to survive to fuck up series, so Stress survives Fine. if you believe the game is to fuck up everyone's lives. And pre- basically cause the third war, so good job, Tris. Like <laughs> Um I mean, to be fair, not canon, but still, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 it's actually incredible how the more stuff you accept as canon, the more you have to accept that Triss fucked up. Like, like, the, yeah. like every every single fucking <laughs> adaptation, extra content, you know, everything that this franchise creates somehow includes Triss Merigold fucking up, and never for. Just fucking other people's <laughs> well, lives I mean, up. Yeah. Yes. So just a reminder to everyone who hasn't read the books that Booktress is a rapist and that's why we don't yes. like her. So and 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 she does it yeah. repeatedly. Um so you know, mm-hmm. not great. Like um, I've actually been recently um replaying the first Witcher game and there is actually a bit where um Geralt w- wakes up in Triss's house in Vizima. Um, and he overhears the last bits of a mm-hmm. conversation she has with the other members of the Lodge of Sorceresses. Which, um, for, again, mm-hmm. for those of you who have not read the books but do not care about the spoilers, is a, a secret organization of sorceresses who are, who nominally say that they're going to be a political and, you know, um, work for the sake of magic alone, but actually end up doing some war crimes. Um, like, and Triss is a yes. member of them. Um, like, so basically she's, there's a bit in the, in the game where, uh, she's talking to, uh, someone from the Lodge of Sorceresses through a magic mirror. And she's, she actually like, the conversation actually includes lines like, never let him find out what you're hiding from him. In the games, Geralt is an amnesiac and has forgotten Yennefer and Ciri. And also, like, she says something along... Like, Triss says something along the lines of, I've got him under my control. I've got all of them under my control. Um, <laughs> I've basically got him wrapped around my finger. And it's 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 all really fucked. Like, tr- the book... It's extremely gross. The book and, tr- the book and game Triss Merigold is extremely gross. Yeah. No problems with show Triss, though. No Triss says club. We can have one. I kind of, I kind of love show Triss. She's just like nice yes. plant mom. Like she's exactly. Nice. <laughs> um, I hope they keep her yeah. that way and like don't like like if they do like involve her with Geralt in some way, could it at least be like normal and consensual? Because like the way it's in the books is definitely really fucked. Like yeah. I think they've really intentionally played show Triss and show Geralt as having like not much chemistry. So I'm hoping they're just going to leave it. That's that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Because actually they're just like kind of nice buds to be honest. Like she's genuinely helpful in that entire dispelling the curse on on Princess Ada thing. Yeah. They kind of put her in the Nenica role in that scene. Yeah. So... Um, well, I mean, as much as I hope we actually get Nenica, like, I'm hoping Triss kind of stays in that sort of role. Eventually not... have to appear. Like, mm-hmm. Nenica is important in the first book. 
like yeah and i mean tris did reference yeah and i mean tris did reference the sisters of melatelli so yeah yeah i i i i think nenica will will appear uh mm-hmm. like i think i think she, yeah. i think they didn't introduce her just because like it would have introduced like an entire separate plot line because there's actually like a lot to talk about with regard to Nenek and the sisters of Melatelli. Like, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's established that Geralt basically went to school there for one. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so there's clearly like a thing going on where for a good long while, you know, like witchers send young witchers to get educated there. I never really considered that being like institutionally a thing, but it must be. Yeah, that must be, because, like, where else are they? Yeah, because, like, they clearly have, like, an established, yeah. long-standing relationship, and it is stated that, like, Geralt went to the temple school there. Like, and I somehow doubt that mm-hmm. his mom sent sent him there before she went, sent him to the Witchers, because she, he was... He would remember that. Yeah. He would, <laughs> he would remember her Exactly, like... right? He was literally a baby when she, when, when she gave him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unlike the show where he's a toddler who could clearly remember. Yeah, yeah. Like, so yeah. I think there's clearly some sort of institutional relationship going on. Hmm. That's really interesting. I hadn't really um considered that. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because, like, there was... <sighs> it does, yeah. There totally. was a time when the Witchers were not, like, a group of outcasts, but, like, a respected caste of society. Mm-hmm. And obviously Geralt existed prior to when things went terribly wrong or else he wouldn't exist. Yeah, right. So... so... <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so sort of um, circling back to, to Vilgefortz and his plotline, obviously a lot of his sort of villainous stuff um, sort of circ- centers around uh, Ciri and her importance to the larger plot. Um, and again, why they had to make sure that Ciri was like a co-equal part of the first season because of how important she later uh, becomes and I think it's really really cool um, and again this is presumably because Lauren Hestrick originally pitched the idea of starting with Lady of the Lake how much of the later books themes have been worked into season one even just like little things like I was doing a rewatch this morning and I only got three episodes in because I got distracted by other things it happens um yeah <laughs> but uh i noticed like like the second time we ever see siri she's with mausak and it's you know it's when um it's when kalanthi is um out fighting um nilfgaard and siri's like wondering what's going to happen to her and blah 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 and mausak says to siri you know don't worry you're her granddaughter and is clearly you know talking about her relationship with kalanthi but also in a much larger theme the apple doesn't fall far from the the apple never falls far from the tree and the camera like zooms in on Siri's green eyes. Mm. And that's like there mm. right away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and just the number of times um we get, you know, two references to Falca in and, season one, which is crazy. And Siri's eyes are very important in the fucking books because they're Lara Those are Lara Doran's eyes. <laughs> Yeah, so just they're taking the time to just linger on her eyes while saying, like, the apple doesn't fall fire from the tree and talking about her lineage is, like, right there, right from, like, the second time she's ever on the screen. It's also referred to a lot in the third game. Like, obviously not to spoil where it happens, but someone does say, you know, she does definitely have the eyes of Lara Doran. I mean, we might as well spoil where it happens because we've thrown out the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I haven't played the. Mm. Oh, Aaron hasn't played it. Oh, it's just because yeah. Aaron hasn't played it. Yeah, that, that's probably no. worth considering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but like, yeah. I mentioned to you that like you hang out with fucking Avalach and that. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. You did mention that to me because I and then I was really mad about it. Cause fuck Avalach. <laughs> they, they they do address. Um, I do him being a wanker. <laughs> I do really want to. And Geralt I do really want to so, understand yeah. how to pronounce the C apostrophe H. In his fucking name, because <laughs> I honestly like 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 my assumption, right? Like just like based off of like the most logical explanation, you know, other than that, fantasy writers love throwing in apostrophes in their names. Uh, like is is that like um, 
the C and the H need to be read as like separate sounds. So it's like not Avalach or Avalach, but like Avalach. But like God. No, I think what it is is that he wants the Scottish sound, and he doesn't want people to say "lash." Yeah, I mean, I can't do it. You can, obviously, but I'm just the least Scottish person on this podcast. Possibly, but... but like that's not how that that sound works in Polish. Like you, you, I, I, uh, I actually don't. I actually don't. Don't quote me on this, uh, but I think Polish people would probably read a ch written in Polish orthography as ch. So, shrug. I don't know. Hmm. We will have to ask Yulia ask, later. Uh, ask Yulia. Somehow you're <laughs> listening to this. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I got the J.A. sound like that. <laughs> uh, uh, because, um, because, like, in yeah, Lithuanian, the, the C-H is a H, so... I think it's probably the same in Polish because I know that in Polish, if you want to say ch, you would write a c z, or a so. Right. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, maybe you're right. That maybe that's just the fantasy writers loving it. I think it's me. probably that originally. Like to be totally honest, <laughs> <laughs> like there are. Um, I had actually once posted on Twitter about this, and there is there there are a few languages that actually specifically Celtic languages. This is fun. Um. Like, uh, so, you know, it makes sense for Elder uh, that do have a sound that's spelled as C apostrophe H. I can't remember which one it is, mm-hmm. so don't quote me on it. But the, the languages that, that it exists in are Breton and I think it's in Cornish. So. Huh. Well, there you go. That is fun. <laughs> so, like, it is a sound that exists somewhere. Yeah. It's just an interesting spelling for it. um yeah but um the other things that sort of like are already sort of laying the groundwork for some of series um eventual um importance is we also get two references to falca again in season one really offhand but they're already laying that groundwork so one is stregobor references falca's rebellion uh when he's talking about the the curse of the black sun girls and then to say it takes sort of a bit of a um jab at stregobor by asking if he's still afraid of falca in yeah one of the later episodes as well um so we're already sort of laying the groundwork for series initial or later sort of um self-identification with falca Mm-hmm. Again, for those of you who have not read the books but don't care about the spoilers, which is why you, I guess you're listening to this, uh, like um, <laughs> Falca was like um, essentially a peasant rebel leader, like about maybe like is it like a century or two centuries before the events of the main plot? There's still living memory of her, so I think it must be a century. I mean, it is living memory about those people who, like, you know, can live for like a millennia. Like, That's true. Um, but but it but it <laughs> does remain very powerful in in the historical memory of the Northern Realms. She's I a Joan of Arc figure, it. basically. A very negative, except Joan of Arc figure yeah. because she is widely perceived as just a mad woman who raised villages. Yeah. <laughs> Fair, to be fair, like it, 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 I don't know how much of that is actual history and how much of that is like post factum propaganda, but like descriptions of Falca's rebellion in the books do sound like at one point she just went kind of mad and started just killing everyone. So I know we've speculated that that might be what Nightmare of the Wolf might be about because we did the timeline. Vesemir lived we during Falca's rebellion, so the, you heard here first, guys. If yeah, if Nightmare of the Wolf takes place during <laughs> Falca's rebellion. You heard it here first. Yeah, I can't remember if we worked that out on the podcast or just when we were chatting, but uh, yeah, we worked out the timeline that Vesemir would have been uh, prior to his retirement, sort of when he was quite a younger witcher. It would have been during Falcus Rebellion. So that's cool. Yeah. So maybe that's what it'll be about, speculation. Um, yeah, and um, there's this one scene, um, that scene where Dara leaves her as well, that just um, where he screams at her that she brings death and destruction 
wherever she goes. And she looks like she's, like, really internalizing that for a second before she says, like, no, I, like, refuse to acknowledge this. I'm just doing my best. But, like, that is something that in the later books is something of a refrain of series when she sort of sinks into this Falca role. And then as she comes out of it, just this idea that um, she can't be with people because all she does is bring death. Um, she has sort of an identification with like a death goddess type figure. It's yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also interesting because there are two things here as well. Um, one, people also see that about Geralt sometimes. Um, I can't really remember mm-hmm. anything in canon right now, um, other than you know just the general atmosphere of distrust of the Butcher of Lavakin, I guess. Oh, and other than the time he actually like, like had a vision of a goddess of death at yeah. the stone um, hill. But like, um, also uh, at one point in in the games, actually, um, like uh, this 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 young Witcher in training's ghost. Um, Leo's ghost is the, says to Geralt that like the line that de- the sword of destiny has two edges one is death and the other is you is bullshit because actually we're the ones who die like everyone who you encounter like has an encounter with death um, and, and I think that's also like sort of like in the same kind of universe um, and the other thing that actually, like, this has always reminded me of, like, especially in the books when I read them for the first time, was actually, like, in a lot of classic fantasy, um, the hero is, like, frequently, like, it, those of, like, the heroes who are, like, known for their activities are usually, like, perceived as bringing bad luck. Remember, like, Lord of the Rings and, like, how Gandalf and both Rohan and Gondor is greeted with you bring only ill tidings and, like, you know, bad news and, you know... Yeah, they call yeah. him Stormcrow like, and... Um, and it's, yeah. like, obviously like, completely unfair because, actually, like, he's not causing this. Yeah, and he says as much. He's like, oh, well, you you confuse people who come bringing warning and aid with people yeah. who bring the trouble itself and... Yeah. Yeah, but, like, this is the thing, right? Like, um, like in a lot of fantasy, historically, like, you know, like, the right from, like, the influence of the Lord of the Rings go- going forward, if the hero is, shall we say, famous for his heroics, uh, then they kind of become, like, you bring well, ill tidings. what happens with witchers in general. Et cetera, et cetera. Like, they turn up to kill the beasties, so people associate them with the beasties being there in the first place. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, right? Like, um... Although, see, like, it's kind of interesting because, like, they're never, like... People are aware that they're that they're there to kill the beasties because that's why they pay them. Like, it's more just that... Mm-hmm. To be totally honest, like, a lot of, like, the prejudices against the witchers, to be fair, like... Um, and this is, like, kind of difficult to say for a... For, like, any prejudice in the world of the witcher where... Some of them eventually turn out to be surprisingly rational, but like, but like, most of them are pretty rational. <laughs> um, but like, a lot of the prejudice towards prejudice towards the witchers do sound like they come from the fact that they used to kidnap children. Oh, I missed that. Did they actually used to kidnap children? I mean, unless you're um, counting law of surprise as kidnapping. Well, first of all, to be fair, like a lot of the impl- a lot of the applications of the law of surprise have kidnappy aspects. Um, cause like, I mean, like, right, like, so, so the law of surprise is kind of like, 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 you know, when, when, when it ends up producing, um, um, children of surprise, it can seem a lot like what it seemed to Calidfe, which is that, like, you know, this is a conspiracy to steal, you know, people's children away. Well, in Calanthe's case, and I think this is a really important point to make because of how much um, reproductive stuff becomes a key theme of this series. Her point was that these are rules and customs made by men who never bore a child and don't understand what they're even doing and what they're taking away that, from women the women who thing, have no right? choice. That's the thing, right? Like, uh, is like not the only woman in the universe who yeah. has ever had that thought. And to be totally honest, like. Um... I can think of at least a, I, I can think of plenty of situations where, like you know, a father might be also equally unhappy to hand over 
a son or a daughter even after the law of surprise like um because you know what happens mm-hmm. if you accidentally law of surprise promise your well, there must be a lot of like regrets so obviously some people <laughs> will lose a child for it and then say oh no actually i didn't i wasn't in debt to a lowly witcher i you know just he kidnapped him yeah that right like also just in general like you know you don't really like mm-hmm. the the thing about the law of surprise is that like it will only produce children to like as the prize um occasionally right um because because usually what you phrase is like something mm-hmm. vague along the lines of give me whatever you know um like you will find at home that you didn't expect and to be totally honest if you left home less than nine months ago it's very unlikely that you will find a child (laughs) and if you do it's probably not yours yes um um, (laughs) right so um Uh. it's not exactly that children of surprise are a frequent result of the law of surprise. So... No. Though I think Calanthe's point... I mean, like, obviously fathers regret losing their children too, but I think Calanthe's point was that it's generally men who make the rules yeah, and yeah, yeah. agree to the yeah. No, I mean, Calanthe's point is completely valid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just that, like, um, Calanthe's point is is also one that would have been reached individually by pretty much any parent who doesn't absolutely hate their children. Yeah. Like, because nobody, like, is actually happy (laughs) to give away their kids, you know, like, in normal situations. Yeah, sorry, I was just laughing about Bookyurga, who's like, oh, well, no. Oh, well, the trade is good as any. Like... (laughs) <laughs> people die doing anything like, go ahead <laughs> the best thing is that Jurga says that not even in the context of the fucking law of surprise he's just like he's just like you know you won't find a kid like my my wife has like become infertile after the last one but I've got two sturdy sons you know just like take one of them as an apprentice like it's just like <laughs> Jurga <laughs> no like Okay, right, like, so there, there can be that sort of situation, because that's actually respectable in a way, in the sense that, like, you know, at the end of the day, that's basically, like, getting your child apprentice to a guild, same as, like, all the other people used to do. Um, you know, like, it was not an infrequent thing in medieval times mm-hmm. to apprentice your your second son to a blacksmith oh yeah whatever. yeah yeah for sure i just think it's funny that Jurga's like the only person on the continent who thinks witchers are just like everyone else and it's fine <laughs> uh poor Jurga. he deserved better <laughs> he really did um, deserve better yeah spoiler um, uh the whole nice farm family gets brutally slaughtered as soon as Nilfgaard finds out that they had anything to do with siri <laughs> uh <laughs> um yeah um and this is the yeah, thing as busy well. Gota um, gets to go out on his own terms quietly have a heart attack in the night. Oh god, yeah. I love Vizigota so much. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people believe that witchers steal children. So, to be totally honest, knowing how fucked up the witcher universe is, I'm not convinced I don't buy it. Like, you know, back in the olden days when there were lots of witchers and there was a very high demand for lots of witchers because there were lots more monsters in the already pretty monster-infested world of the witcher. Uh, Yeah, fair. Like, you know, how do I put this? Sapkowski's lore has a tendency where it's probably safest to assume that the worst, most horrible things that someone is saying about someone else probably have a grade of truth in all cases, and everyone is a little bit terrible. So I can totally buy that the Witchers used to be a, a little bit terrible when they were more than just, you know, the five most wholesome Witchers that <laughs> have ever existed. True. 
Because, like, the ones that we that we know, you know, like, Geralt, Vesemir, Lambert, Koyon, um, uh, Eskil, um, they're all just, like, really lovely guys, but they're also <laughs> the best witchers of the wolf school. That's true. Like, and they, <sighs> and incidentally, they, they're, they're, like, I mean, it's never really stated for some of them, but I think it's probably safe to assume that, like, all of them, because Geralt and Eskil certainly did, like, had Vesemir as that sort of surrogate father figure in their lives. And Vesemir is just, a, just like, you know, a really nice old man. Yes. Like, so, you know, like, they, they, they probably ended up above average good, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, in general. Like, actually speaking of which, this is a thing I really fucking love in that last episode where, like, where where Geralt actually, um, like, you know, it, first of all, but he's completely delirious, um, mm-hmm. like, and he goes, like, you know, take me to the Blue Mountains, I need to see Vesemir, like, like, Vesemir will take care of me. And this is just so sweet because it's just, it's... Little, extremely currently wounded, half-dying Geralt, who just wants to go home to dad. And it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, and when he says to Vicenna as well, when she says his name, and she he says to Vicenna, you don't get to call me that. Vesemir gave me that name. Yeah. Um, it kind of, like, establishes their relationship a bit more. And I think it's really interesting, is in the book, Vicenna gets, like, a tiny little redemptive moment where she's like no you didn't that like that's that that, that actually that's your name. name yeah 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 um but like she here she doesn't i think that's just interesting yeah mm-hmm. I, I don't know which way i prefer it because on the one hand like book vicenna is less of an absolute arsehole in the sense that like um it's never quite apparent what her actual motivations are, and you just sort of, like... And the, the moral is, like, clearly that, like, you know, you're just, like... Well, it's basically a moral about about choice, right? It's just that, like, you're just meant to accept that. Yeah. What's the best word for it? Yeah, it's... Because it's really interesting, because, like, we, the only, we only get two things about Vicenna, if we don't count Road with No Return, which is, like, semi-non-canon. Yeah. Um... We only get two things about Vicenna. We get Geralt's um, fever dream flashback thing. And we get, um, well, not flashback, his kind of fever dream where he probably sees her. Um, and then we get um, his conversation with Calanthe when he's going to take Siri. Um, yeah. And in the conversation with Calanthe, that's where we get more because the... Um, the the fever dream is basically the same as it is in the show apart from that one thing that we mentioned um where calanthe says something to Geralt of like well like your mother just gave you up don't you wish she had an abortion basically and (laughs) and he's and um these books being extremely pro-choice Geralt's just like you know what i don't know why we're even talking about this that's every woman's choice to make and i have nothing Mm. to say about it yeah (laughs) Um, I mean, it's also worth saying that probably that's, well, that's definitely true for, like, you know, the question of whether, you know, to have him in the first place. It's probably mm-hmm. also worth saying that it's not the best thing to, like, abandon your child to literally the one form yeah. of, like, 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 it, like, let's be real here. There are better opportunities. Well, yeah, exactly. She could have, like, yeah well yeah like i was just i was thinking that like like i feel like i really wish that we got more about vicenna and i'm wondering if the show is going to give us like a show canon for vicenna because um you know they they never go into any idea of why she decided that being a witcher was like the way forward here when she could have left him at a monastery well, or if they go anything to, like, right if they're going to talk about the trial of the grasses and um Geralt's genesis they'll probably allude to it there I think there's perhaps something in um, you in Geralt's flashbacks in the TV series. Um, you do see um, things like 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 a, like Vicenna establish a few of his later 
guiding principles in life. Um, yes. But like, she very strongly believes. Okay, it's not 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 unsurprising for a druidess, but like, um, she uh, very strongly believes in protecting like you know all like unhostile life. Um, like for she she teaches him the dragons mm-hmm. are essentially good creatures for instance uh, and that you shouldn't kill them yeah she basically gives him the the let others live so that we may live yeah. like and i that and I, i'm just perhaps um, there's like something morality. actually deliberate in that in the sense that like she actually gave him up to the witchers because similarly to yurga in the books she actually believed that that was a perfectly like legitimate trait yes uh, two-thirds of the boys die during the trial of the grasses um but the calling of the witcher as such is kind of honorable i mean this isn't to justify the concept of like you know giving away um children to like a cast of monster hunters who will put them through mutations where two-thirds of them will die um but just like there, there was a time in the in the in the history of that universe where being a witcher was an honorable and respected thing. Yeah, and maybe we do have to consider how old Geralt is, that yeah, and how old Vicenna is. Well, the thing is that that might they well were successful be the, the... as a guild, and obviously the more successful they were, they're kind of building into their own obsolescence. They're putting themselves out of business by killing all of these monsters and making themselves <laughs> suddenly seem redundant. I mean, right? Yeah, like it's it's one of those businesses that like, like you know. The Witchers are the fucking carbon tax of the of the of the Witcher universe. Like the more the, the more you apply it, the less like revenue there will be. Um, like eventually from that <laughs> from that from that you know like stream. Uh, like because because mm-hmm. by by hunt but you know the, the the profession of like hunting aberrations, especially like considering that most of the monsters are explicitly stated like you know dragons for instance are actually you know like um i think that there's a thing in the in the fucking book where they talk where, where they talk about in the in the in the short story about borched three jackdaws and everything like where they actually talk about the fact that, like mm-hmm. um wait no sorry i i misinterpreted where this no it's actually it's actually when Geralt is tra- is telling not, not Geralt, Vesemir is teaching Ciri about monsters, right? Uh, Vesemir talks about mm-hmm. the fact that things like ghouls and graviers and so on don't really have biological niche in this universe because they were just dumped there by the by the conjunction of the spheres. So they're 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 very much basically a malign garden pest and not actually ecologically at home in the universe like as opposed to things like dragons who are for instance like you know actually like 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 a a, sa- a sapient and sentient species that has adapted to life here yeah or dry or uh, vampires yeah or vampires, vampires right like cuz lord vampires are weird like those are basically are kind of like their own thing um <laughs> like they seem to be like more beasts than anything like i think i, I like the, the the relationship between like higher vampires and lower vampires is never elaborated but i always interpreted as a sort of like the same thing as between humans and apes uh, like because mm. because like lower <laughs> vampires are obviously not very sentient like because they they just like sort of they, they, first of all they actually do feed on blood for sustenance rather than the weird alcohol thing that of higher vampires do um mm-hmm. but yeah like um there there um there was a time when like you know the witchers as a, as a guild were basically extremely necessary for humanoid society to function because i think i think like what is yeah, they've got to a certain point of development now in cities and things like that, and they have sufficient technology where they don't really need the skills of the witchers to take out monsters. Exactly, they uh, have other people, and also like they've they've actually culled enough mm-hmm. of them that like they don't really reproduce at 
sufficient rates anymore to like pose a serious threat uh yeah though i think what max was saying about the level of civilization and things as well is important because that is a larger theme of the the books is the slow displacement of magic by sort of the the academies and learning and cities and medicine and um you know when you get to the point that you've got cities and walls and advanced metallurgy and yeah yeah yeah. that sort of thing you don't necessarily need it's the same thing right because like monsters are an aspect of that magic like, like they're 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 a result mm-hmm. of the magic that produced exactly. the conjunction of the spheres. Yeah, and then you've got witchers produced by that magic too. Yeah, exactly. Other um, products so of they're that magic. You know, like making themselves obsolete over time. Like, and they, and indeed, like you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Dandelion speaks about this in the uh, in the intertextual chapters to in the Last Wish, um, where he basically says that, like you know. The reason why your profession is going into obsolescence is because you are a profession that destroys its own, you know, like source of income. By, like, 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 uh, he was, he was like, um, like your entire guild was necessary in those days when, um, it was impossible to leave, like, town without, you know, an armed escort. Um, to guide you as you went to visit your cousin in the next city. So, <laughs> like, um, so, like, now that, like, situation, the situation is not that witchers aren't as necessary. And indeed, like, you know, they probably, that probably taps into, like, I, I, it, it, in my head, it sort of makes a logical kind of sense that, like, as the need for witchers declined, people's tolerance of bullshit, like, well, essentially, kidnapping children with the law of surprise. Let's be real here. Yeah. Um, like, must have dropped to the point where they eventually, you know, like uh, produced that insane pamphlet, like about the how... Maelstrom. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one, and and attacked Care Morin. You know. Mm-hmm. Like there, 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 there's a kind of logical. Um, the less people needed them the more people were willing to attack them. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just wondering if we're going to get some more about Vicenna in the show than we got in the books. Just because, yeah, the way they showed Vicenna in the show as having this, like, influence over Geralt's sort of general attitude, as well as um, her them having him explicitly ask her why and her refusing to answer makes it sets it up as him wanting that answer and i just shows don't often do that without having any intention to just deliver something so and then you know they have her say people linked by destiny will always find each other which i know is supposed to be about him and siri and yennefer but yeah. you know and then well, also, be fair, they were they were just trying to replicate this scene relatively faithfully from the books yeah where where he also clearly wants to know the answer. Mm-hmm. But she tells him that he shouldn't. And that's the end of it. Um, yeah. I, I don't even know if, like, like a little bit of... I actually, on on some level, not sure I want to know what the answer yeah. were. Like, because yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I just sort of prefer believing the idea that perhaps there were just five reasons mm-hmm. of hearing what the reasons were and having to decide how I feel about them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Though, again, this does bring us back to all of this sort of motherhood reproduction yeah, um, being just, like, really key themes of the books. And? Um, and choice. Um, I yeah. think they've done... Let's be real here. The Witcher is a massive pro-choice allegory designed to piss off uh, Polish conservatives. So It's like the it is, anti-twilight. Yeah, it's absolutely the anti-twilight. It's the anti-twilight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely true because... Um, and I mean, I think they did such a good job with Yennefer's story of um, highlighting that because, I mean... 
uh, Book Yennefer has a much more complicated relationship, I think, with the concept of reproduction yeah. than show Yennefer does. They've kind of windowed it down for the show yeah. to being very much about this like core thing about control and choice and um, reiterating that through the story of Callus, which was created for the show, though, based on some of Calanthe's experiences. Um, and then... Um, they even have similar names. Callus and Calanthe, yeah. <laughs> so yeah yeah book Calanthe of course um evaded murder by her husband for having born a girl uh, and then had him killed first whereas unfortunately Callus gets killed yeah um I think it does a really good job of sort of highlighting um the choice aspect of it yeah the choice aspect of it yeah um, well, first off, because Callus both doesn't really seem to want to have any more children, but knows she has to. And then, of course, is being punished for having girls, even though yeah, that's not how biology works. Um, uh, it is how medieval people sadly believe biology works. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you see it again, actually, with the little guardian uh, candidate for Pavetta's hand, who insists that it's four oh, yes. brothers... He is definitely yes. to use a son. Uh, well, the thing is, though, is while that is not relevant, I mean, it is the sperm that determines the sex of the the fetus. So, but but the number of brothers is not relevant. Yeah, right. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, um, because you're right that like in the books it is a bit more complicated because in the books Yennefer more specifically wants a family. Yes, and she's also got some very weird ideas about like human settlements and like oh, yeah. the like scale of reproduction let's, necessary let's to outlive. Talk about <laughs> that because those those bits are weird <laughs> and they make me uncomfortable. Like, yeah, very very weird, and I do not like uh, it. Like, I did not enjoy Jennifer going on that tangent. Yeah, no, it was very strange. I mean, like, I mean, she's. <laughs> She's got like a weird vendetta against dragons in the books that extends beyond wanting a dragon heart. <laughs> yeah, but that one was just honestly, honestly, sometimes yeah. maybe she's just jealous of uh, <laughs> fortune. <laughs> it, it's impossible, right? Um, no, like there is, there is a thing like in the fucking books where, like, occasionally Yennefer will say things about like, shall we say, human nature. And the reproductive process and how civilization should work and so on and so on that like I sort of like don't really take seriously because I just go yeah I think you're just talking about this from a perspective of you really want to have a baby so like everything you say is like not actually your real your real opinions but like hiding that much simpler truth. Yeah, yeah. But like, but it's it's very it's very true that like in the books it, it does seem to be less about choice for Yennefer specifically and more specifically about the fact that she just really wants a family, which to be totally honest is valid. Yeah, yeah. and I mean like Geralt clearly also wants a family too. Yeah, um, so, I mean, has so much. A fucking family shaped hole in his life from the moment that he was abandoned. So. Yeah. And I mean, God, I feel that. But um, I think what's... <laughs> I don't have abandonment issues, no. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> um, I think... And of course, that's really something that proceeds through all the books, right? Is he's just, like, constantly collecting waifs and strays, but can't believe that any of them love him or want to be with him. Like, he spends the entire books putting together all of these little pseudo-families without really consciously realizing that's what he's doing, and then trying to get rid of them at every turn, because he can't believe they right. really want to stay. Right, he's surrounded by people who love him, and then he tries to mm. chase them away. Um. Yes, <laughs> before they can abandon him, which is, like, the worst thing that could possibly happen. Uh, poor Geralt. We've gotten a little bit off of the show. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, let's try and tie it up with a bow because that's just been going about an hour. So that seems a yeah a, ra- a reasonable. Okay, point to I'm gonna tie just like up. rapid fire through a bunch of the things that I thought thought were really interesting about sort of how they made the whole 
series cohesive. One, I think the timelines thing is cool and good. And I felt extremely clever at about episode four when I started really piecing it all together. Um, I think more shows need to trust their viewers because a lot of people were confused. But if you, you know, see a lot of people sort of live tweeting of watching the show, watching them snap into place and everything makes sense is like, I think a lot of people found that a very rewarding experience. So I think that was very cool and good. Um, Two, I think it's really neat with Yennefer's story that, um, again, Yennefer barely features in the initial short stories. She's in The Last Wish and she's in Shard of Ice, which is one that didn't make it into the show. Um, And the Dragon Hunt one. I think that's it. Um, So I think it's really cool that they were able to um, put some of the material for her that is actually taken from, I think, Lady of the Lake, like her suicide attempt is from Lady of the Lake. And yeah, so basically a lot of the material for Yennefer for season one, some of it was just invented for the show. um, But some of it is again from like the last book and brought into the first season, which um, again is one of the things that makes me really trust the team behind this series, which I cannot stress enough is such a difference from so many other show adaptations to TV. (laughs) Yeah. That can go unnamed. go unnamed. Uh, that they really that the, the showrunner and that the team really care about the larger themes of the series. Do we have any highlights that we just want to? Uh, yeah, Jennifer. Perfectly cast. <laughs> just the last wish yeah. episode basically is, I think, just a perfect encapsulation of what the series is yeah. about. It's so well done. The humor's good. Jennifer is just incredible and the introduction to the, like, the characters and how they meet and everything it's uh, yeah i think that's my favorite episode of the series i mean yeah casting could not have been any better on her yeah so do we have any speculation about season two i joined the squirtle and we'll uh, blood of I in that yeah. battle where yeah um band fight yeah. the squirtle that is my prediction too, is that Dara is absolutely going to die in that battle. And Ciri's going to be there and she's going to see it. It's going to be trauma number two. I wonder if Geralt will be the one that kills him. Oh my god, what if Geralt's the one that, that kills is... him? After Ciri has been like telling him he can't be neutral and that, that would be dark. Oh. Uh... Oh gosh. It'd be a we'll really good story up. direction for it to go in, but it would be oh really Oh my dark. god. Yeah, but yeah, that is, yeah. I think that is our collective. Actually, uh, uh, like, collective. my guess is actually probably that, I, I think that if, if Geralt killed him, that would probably, like, open a rift between Ciri and Geralt that would be kind of, like, difficult to mend given where the story goes next. But, mm, like, yeah, but what yeah, I yeah. think will happen, and buy me a pizza if, I'm, if I call this completely accurately, but I think there will be one of those scenes where Siri and Dara stare each other in the eyes, like for a moment, and Dara is distracted by it, and that's why he dies. Oh yeah, yeah he just gets like, caught from behind because he's distracted him by Siri, in behi- like in the behind while, like while while he's oh. while he's distracted by the fact that he just bumped into his old friend. Oh shit, you're probably right. Oh, and she'll be looking right in his yeah. eyes while it happens. Because that's what always happens, oh. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a good trope. They need to yeah. make us suffer a little bit, you know, like for the, for the pay, for the pathos. <laughs> the pathos. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to. I mean, obviously, my favorite episode's also the the um, bottled appetites, the last wish episode. Um, just it's stunning I basically made a sit through a whole bonus episode so I could talk about mm. it more um, <laughs> um, yeah. I just think they've done an incredible job of setting up the, the, the themes of the entire series and making sort of everything dense with world building and meaning and I am incredibly impressed that in eight episodes they managed to give us so much that even though I'm like in the double digits of how many times I've watched the show all the way through now, I'm still noticing new things every time I watch it. There's something mm-hmm. for everyone, so really. Well in this mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, though. Like, honestly, like... <laughs> I have to... 
like when when the first trailers came out, no, when the first um, pictures came out, I remember I think me and Dov didn't know each other that well back then, but I knew we were both into The Witcher because I we'd been talking about it, and I saw the screens and I was like, uh, I'm not sure about this. When you know Geralt was um, first introduced being played by Cavill but then the first trailer came out and we just went mad <laughs> like we just fully lost it in each other's messages it's like have you seen it oh yeah god. oh my god like I, I honestly always felt positive about it um like um like I know um it's it's easy to say that right there in retrospect but like genuinely like um while everyone's response to it being announced was Please don't fuck this up. Please don't fuck this up. I actually just like, looked at the list of people who were like already mm-hmm. named as working on this, and I was like, "Huh, I know half of these people. Like, they worked on like the Expanse and shit. This is gonna be great." Like, um, and 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 the, I I I I felt validated completely when the first season came out, and just episode after episode, as I fucking injected it into my brain. Um, I was going like, <laughs> yes, this is it. This uh, th- this is what I have uh, waited for all my fucking teenage life. <laughs> I'm kind of sad I didn't know you guys back then. I missed out on a lot of geeking out because, yeah, I really, uh, I've waited probably a week or two after. I mean, I think you knew me because, it, like, then... we knew each other for like a year before The Witcher. Like... Yeah, I'd been following you for a while, but I was just like a reply girl in your comments, not... Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> the Witcher, bringing people together. Connecting people, as no used to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, people linked by destiny, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh... Uh, yeah, okay, so... um. All right. Um, right. So we'll just uh, end that there. Um, we're obviously big fans of season one and are really looking forward to season two. Uh, so as usual, um, we'll see you again in two weeks where we will. So we will be discussing the first short story um, from The Last Witch. Yes. And the first short story of The Witcher series, um, which is just called The Witcher. Um <laughs> Meanwhile, you can find us um, on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher Cast, or you can email us at castapodtierwitcher at gmail.com. Um, and our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Purdy and Miloslav Kolar. Uh, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye.